Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. Long time no see. Well, long time no talk in here. Long time period, I guess. I, uh, I've missed you. I've missed the mic. I, uh, I just needed a little bit of a breather to get a few things done. And you know, I don't like when people talk about how busy they are. Like there's nothing less interesting than hearing about how great your life's going. But it's not that mine's going that great. It's just that, you know, I, I need help, but I can't afford to pay anybody to help me. So I just do the work and don't sleep. And then have to forego the commitments that I made to you. And for that, I am sorry. Um, real quick, though, re-father figure. <laughs> that song kills for me until at the end he goes. It's just, I don't know. If the father figure sounds sophisticated, but then when he's like, I'll be your dad, it loses me a little. And I just wish he wouldn't have done that. I, um, I've been singing this a lot to Tugboat because... He is very partial to his dad and, you know, I only do everything for him and ask for nothing and get so little. So, you know, I like to sing this to him, especially because of the lyric, you know, put your tiny hand in mine and I take Tugboat's tiny paw and put it in mine. I'm sorry, when my phone goes off, I'm sure you all think you have a text and if it's like, you know, your crush and then you realize there's nothing there but your blank background, hopefully with your inspirational quote, um... You know, I can see how that's disappointing. I'm sorry, but I don't know how to take those sounds out, especially when I'm talking over them. But my ringer is now off and I, I am present. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm into father figure right now. I love this song. I realized that the common denominator of most of my favorite songs is what I'm going to call pop gospel. And that is different from gospel pop. Well, you know, I could get down to some jars of clay, some uh, Reliant K. I, I appreciate those hybrid bands that are like, maybe kind of religious, but also managed to get their way into the pop mainstream, like Hoobastank. I remember driving around town in my white Civic and like hearing, you know, we were meant to live for so much more. And I'm like, Hoobastank, you're right. Post-production note, it is by Switchfoot. Please don't DM me. And then um, I love that. <laughs> it's like, I think he was trying to merge hip hop and like scripture I um, I love that guy. It's like, do you want a revolution? What's that guy's name? I think it's like, it's like Kirk something. I don't know. It's kind of a good song. But anyway, I don't mean that type of gospel pop. So, you know, I did spend many years at camp singing these glorious songs and doing the accompanying sign language that I still remember and then use to pretend like I know sign language. I was about to go into like Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh baby, let my people go, let them go, let them go. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then I had deja vu. And there's this other one that's like, from the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. And you like do this fun swinging motion. Oh, it's called Lori, I left your name on high. Anyways, this is not what this is about, but 
To be fair, just like for every, I know a lot about the Boston Tea Party because we did a school play on it. And I remember all of the nicknames for God or Jesus or the Holy Spirit because of these songs and the sign language I had to do. Song is effective. Dance is effective. The arts are effective. Save the arts. Let your kids be creative in, in other ways that might not be conventional on a report card, but are still valuable nonetheless. And that is why I love my parents so dearly for listening to my poems my entire life. And that is why I look forward to handing them a hard copy of my hardback published book that is one of my poems that had they trivialized, had they clipped my rhyming wings at a young age when it would be easy to be like, okay, honey, go play with your friends, go do homework, go be normal. They didn't. And it paid off, maybe. We'll see. TBD. For those of you that just listen to this podcast and don't follow on Instagram or like know of me on any other platform, um, not that you should, because like, you know, the world doesn't revolve around me. I just don't want to repeat myself, but I also don't want to assume that people, you know, watch what I'm doing that closely. So if you di- if you weren't aware, last week I did announce on Instagram that I have a book coming out. I'm very excited. It's called Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. It is a children's parody book. Think Go the F to Sleep. Think All My Friends Are Dead, the dinosaur book. It's a book written for adults in a children's book fashion with a, a adorable, amazing illustrations by my friend Tori Khan. Um, the entire thing rhymes. It's like 60 some quatrains, though only 32 pages. It, so it's it's dense, though. It has a lot in it. Um, it. It examines the humor that I found and how a parent this day and age would have to explain to their child the career option of a social media star or an influencer as if it's a doctor or a lawyer or a construction worker or one of the other careers that traditional children's books typically address. And I just, I thought it would be funny if this mom was giving advice that was somewhat earnest, but it, 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 it's still sarcastic in tone because we all know how objectively ridiculous it is. It, it, the whole concept is, is kind of based on, you know, don't do what you love do what gets you likes don't just follow dreams dream of followers at night and the mom kind of gives this advice that's like you know you know my dear please remember never to airbrush a photo in front of a doorway or backdrop staircase those lines will wiggle worse than you did before you photoshopped your waist and that's true the worst if you're going to photo if you're going to face tune if you're going to edit your photo the worst thing you can do is stand in front of anything linear so the mom is serious, but my point is that it's ridiculous. Um, and my point is also, though, how great it, 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 ha- it highlights so many positive aspects of social media. It highlights so many hysterical aspects of social media, the things that we all do, that your high school friends do, that older people do, that bachelor contestants do, that people that sell stuff, fitness people. I mean, you name it, you're in here, but that's the point. I, I wanted it to be universal and inclusive in a sense that it evokes a sense of self-awareness and it's not mean and it's not targeted at anybody. I am guilty of most of it. Um, but that's kind of the point is that it's it's this necessary thing that is also new and it's weird and it's funny to think about explaining it to a child. Um, I, I'm incredibly proud of it. The, the best part, I think, too, which I don't know, I'm I'm excited about is that the way I wanted it illustrated is that the mom is telling her child a bedtime story, but instead of reaching for a book, she reaches for her phone and her stories are her scrolling through the feed of her phone in this make-believe social network that I call once upon a timeline. And I call it that because 
It's illustrated through this, the made-up-in-my-brain social media feeds of beloved nursery rhyme characters. So whether it's Little Bo Peep and she has a GoFundMe for her lost sheep, and then the, the characters interact within the feed. So like Mary, quite contrary, comments on Little Bo Peep's, you know, GoFundMe. I call it a GoPayMe. Um, and she's like, you know, Bo Peep, you should really think about adopting your next sheep just to kind of be like that person on social media. Um, you know, there is Mary had a little scam. She sells a pyramid scheme. There's, I mean, there's so, there's so much to it. And I'm, it's, I think it's funny and cute and different and it's very me. And I know you guys don't know me that well, but honestly, you kind of do after 30 some episodes. And while I can go off a bit on here, sometimes about influencers and the like, social media is just as important to me. It's everything to me. It's how you found me. It's why you're here. It's 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 the wellspring of my business, yet it, it encompasses so many things that I have incredible difficulty with and, and that I feel so self-conscious about. And it, it, it yields a ton of comparison. And that's why I wanted to touch on it in a way that is simple, but it's also kind of, I think, elevated. And it's I don't want my legacy to be just being like snarky and sarcastic. I am both of those things, but I'm also serious and I care about people and I'm sentimental. And I wanted this book to have a tone that is funny and not mean and is ultimately heartwarming. And it kind of has a twist ending, which I think is cool. And I think it, it just kind of represents something broader to me about a time where I was struggling and how I I aim to cope with it in a field I knew nothing about. I had no headway in. I had no editor. I had no agent, no literary agent. I, I shopped around an unrepresented manuscript, which if you read any article about is pretty stupid um, or pretty unlikely. And to any of you that pre-ordered it, that already assume you'll like it, that sent me kind words, like, thank you, like from the bottom of my heart. I don't think you know how much this project means to me. I don't you think you know that this is like my life's dream since I was very, very young. Um, everything I've done is pieces of me, but this book is like all of me. And I know that Pieces of Me is an Ashley Simpson song and All of Me is a John Legend song. And both of those are great songs. And I was trying not to speak in cliche, um, but of course I did. I love to write. I love to rhyme. I love to doodle. I love pop culture. I love social commentary. I love creative takes on ubiquitous things. I love books. I love, I, I don't know. It's It's like... I love puns. There are a lot of puns in it, guys. And I'm sorry in advance. I am. I don't want to be like Kelly Dodd, but what are you going to do? Um, and I don't know. Maybe I'm overselling it, but I'm pretty proud of it. And I haven't seen anything like it. And I just am very honored that my publisher, Ulysses Press, is taking a chance on an unrepresented first-time author. I know that's incredibly lucky. I'm grateful to Tori for being... Um, I'm like a crazy person. Like... <laughs> I, she's been so patient and awesome with me. There's very few people I work well with, and I'm so lucky that she's one. I, I sound like I'm accepting an Oscar, um, but no, I'm really, I'm really excited. And uh, you, you might not know that from the way I'm talking about it now, but it's because I'm at home and it's nighttime, and Greg and Tugboat are here, um, so I try to keep my voice down. But I think I kind of like the smooth Delilah tone. Um, but anyway, I. 
am likely going to separate out this part. Well, not separate out, like duplicate it and have a podcast dedicated just to Twinkle Twinkle um, so people can find it after they get the book. Because I, of course, mention my podcast on the about the author page. I thought maybe that would help like immortalize myself as somewhat of a radio personality because I enjoy this so much. <laughs> um, but I am going to explain kind of the trajectory in my How I Built This Part 2. I'm just not done with it yet. And what happened was I needed to announce the book prior to being finished with that because honestly, it's difficult for me to condense to explain in a way that's educational but flows as a story. And I want it to be applicable if you're a business owner, but interesting if you're not. And it's like very personal. It's kind of hard for me to relive a lot of the stuff I feel like I did wrong because I'm not over it yet. It was pretty recent, but I do think the the track of me going from like full on corporate Six Sigma black belt to becoming a parody children's book author is an interesting one that I do think is worth explaining. And I promise I will do the second part of that as soon as I can get it together. But I just like to I, I want to I, I in the meantime, I needed to talk about housewives. There are other pressing things going on in my stupid career. So um, anyways, I'll get back to the regular podcast. But I will say I just checked. And for a week and a day now, officially, it's been the number one new release in the parody category and the limerick and humorous verse category, which is so cool and so beyond and something I wasn't really thinking about. And I I was like, I'm going to look at the rankings when it comes out, not during pre-orders, because like I don't pre-order stuff. But I'm going to start to now because it means so much to me that you guys did. Like, I'm amazed. And I, I honestly, I was going on to look to see if the release date was updated. And I saw that like orange tab that meant like number one. And I had a full on meltdown, like a good one. Like I had the best cry I've had in a long time, like of relief that maybe just maybe possibly this could work. Amazon says December. It's actually November, but I don't have the exact date. But if you want to pre-order um, Google Twinkle Twinkle social media star. I am Kate Kennedy, the author. I'm not going to lie. That was really exciting to say out loud. <laughs> it's kind of like the first time I called Greg my husband. It's just like a word you just haven't said before. And um, yeah, so just a heads. So that's what's been going on this past week that I've been hinting at this whole time as my secret project that unfortunately you'll have to hear more about going forward because this is the biggest effing deal that's ever happened to me. And if you're here, I'm going to make you hear about it, if you don't mind. I had this um, a shout out to Molly Dare, who did an awesome interview for Eye on Chicago. And she was here the day before I was announcing it. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't. I, I just it was all very last minute. And um, she read it before our interview and she laughed so hard she cried. And it like meant the freaking world to me. I probably like was playing it cool, Molly. But um, I was so it's like I watch you like a hawk because I carry this manuscript around in my purse and I just like hand it to people across the table and stare at them to see where, when, how they laugh. And then I'm like, oh, did you see this part? But did you see how this person commented on that? And Greg's like, you know, love you, but you need to let people read it and not explain it because unless you can stand next to every single person that's ever going to read this, you need them to be able to understand your work. And if it's not understandable, it's a great lesson going forward. And I'm like, yes, you're right. You're right. Because I think I make things so I try to just I don't know. There's so much in it because there's the, the words themselves and there's words in the social media feeds and all these things. I thought they just mulled over for months and months and months that I want people to notice. But the reality is a quick pass, you know, people aren't going to pick up everything. The point is they read it multiple times. And the point is that you need to make it good enough at the quick pass that they like it enough to revisit it or buy it or whatever. So anyway, um, moving on. 
Hallelujah. It's daytime again. My voice will now pick up. I was talking about pop gospel music like a million years ago. And what I, what I mean by that, I think it's worth calling out because this, it was self-actualizing to understand that this is the type of music that I love. It, it's pop songs with kind of a chorus, a, a choir or an acoustic or just kind of a, a booming building, transcendental, immersive ending that like an example would be Halo, Beyonce, like a prayer, obviously. The only one of the only U2 songs I can stand besides with or without you, a la Ross and Rachel, is still haven't found what I'm looking for. Amazing ending. Um, somebody to love Queen. I, I've done that on the podcast before. Um, the Greatest Showman has This Is Me and From Now On, booming choir-esque endings. Uh, a freaking Free Willy, Say You'll Be There, Michael Jackson, like, ugh moves me I'll, I'll even cross genres like i'm not a huge rock fan but like i'll listen to red hot chili peppers under the bridge because that is a bridge to me to other types of artists because that song ends with this amazing choir and that is also why i've had so much trouble with r kelly because before you know i knew for sure he was like a total creep monster i really did jam to i believe i can fly and of the world's greatest. Those are really good songs that you can get really lost in while driving. And I have removed them from my repertoire along with all Chris Brown songs, even though Ignition plays at every wedding ever. And sometimes I can get down, but you know, I, I just don't, I, it's like you can separate the art from the artist to a degree. Domestic violence, no. Uh, abuse of women, children, um, engaging with minors, absolutely not. You're out. No, no second chances. But, you know, unfortunately, those are great songs. I always said when I was younger and I was like a diehard watcher of um, the Winter Olympics figure skating only, not couples, not nothing but like just women solo. I I would do my practice routines when I was pretending I was Tara Lipinski to I believe I can fly. And I think that's why it's so hard for me, because at the ending, I still imagine myself really nailing that triple salcow. Isn't it kind of funny that I don't know if you guys did this when you were young girls, I, I, I think it's all women that listen to this podcast. Um, but I worshipped ice skaters and gymnasts. And the Olympics is only on every two years, alternating between those two seasons, obviously. But like, I don't know, I, I would just like pretend to be doing floor exercises and ice skating routines. Uh, my parents cleared out the furniture like it was a whole thing. But I didn't really ever like there's no other sport or thing I ever pretended to be. It's it's the paradox of it's the thing I pretended to be most that I had the least reality of actually becoming. You know what I mean? Because they're kind of this intense, like it's a sport and an art and a performance that requires a level of commitment at a young age that most people do not have the time, funding, resources to accomplish. So maybe that's why I was so interested or maybe because like the Fab 11 and, you know, Tara Lipinski, Michelle Kwan, these people were like kind of celebrities in their own right. And like, yeah, sure. Maybe Gabby Douglas and Sean Johnson and co are like that now, but I don't know. I I think it was a bigger deal in the nineties and two thousands because we had to watch sports with this level of, you know, uh, suspense because we were, we were in real time experiencing the victory or the loss with the gymnast because it's live. And I mean, I guess you can do that if there's like a live soccer or basketball game, but I don't know. There's just no other like sport I ever like really imagined doing. I'd pretend to be like a newscaster, a teacher, an ice skater, a gymnast. Mm, trying to think if there's anything else. Not even a ballerina. I already knew that I had too big of bones to pull that shiz off. Um, 
But like I actually did do gymnastics, but I was too tall and my feet hit the other bar with like the uneven bars. And like, you know, you can't be doing that. I, there was a time when I really wanted to be a scientist, but which is weird because I, I wish I was one of those, you know, cool STEM girls that are changing the world one line of code at a time. But uh, I am not. I am talking about 90 Day Fiance on a podcast. Um, just kidding. I uh, Everyone contributes in different ways, right? But I really liked cell biology. And now I'm not sure if I liked it so much as it just was like a little bit more interesting and catchier than the rest. And I probably just wanted to like show off to my parents about how smart I was and be like, hey, mom, did you know that mitochondria are the powerhouse of the cell? And she'd be like, yes. And I'd be like, cool. Uh, nucleus. Am I right? <laughs> I can't remember. Cytoplasm. I can't remember anything else. Uh, mitosis? Meiosis? Well, now I'm like, wait, atoms have a nucleus. Nuclei. In plural. Cells are a little bit more confusing. I don't think they need to have one to have DNA. Oh, geez. I'm out of practice. Out of the game. Long story short, I would have been a god-awful scientist because, I mean, honestly, when we had, like, lab day or, like, insecting something, I was, you know, I had cramps. I was busy. I accidentally forgot to wear closed-toed shoes. I had no interest in any of that. Um, But, uh, yeah, I guess kind of the newscaster one. Maybe that's why I'm podcasting. Maybe I always just wanted people to know what I thought about stuff. So, here, living my dream as a poet and a person that tells people what they think about stuff. But anyway, uh, yes, pop gospel is was kind of an epiphany for me. And when I sing father figure, you have a moment where you're like, is this okay? Like, is this wrong? Is this weird? Is this incestual? But then I, I read an article in Rolling Stone about how it was like it's seen as being a sophisticated piece of pop history that kind of sensitively approaches gay subculture in a way that wasn't as libido-driven as I Want Your Sex, for example, which is one of his other songs, or Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, whatever the hell that is about, though I do love a jitterbug. But I, I guess even though I could, it's like if you take father figure out of the song, the sentiment is so lovely, and it's really about an all-consuming love and wanting to care about somebody so much that you're the one who takes care of them and teaches them and loves them for the rest of time. And George Michael is hinting at a sexuality by saying, I have had enough of crime. I will be the one who loves you till the end of time. At that time in the 80s, I guess, apparently, according to Rolling Stone, he's speaking of being gay, feeling as somewhat of a crime, which is incredibly sad. But also, um, you know, I have talked about before how I think people are telling us things through their lyrics and people still don't believe me. But, you know, come back to me in 20 years when it comes to fruition, like George Michaels did, because this Rolling Stone article is written in 2016, which maybe is when he passed away. But anyway, R.I.P. George Michael. Great song, not doing a thing for Tugboat. But um, speaking of gospel, you know, I am doing this podcast because I have too much to say about especially the TV shows going on right now. And one of those issues I am so frustrated with is one Victoria Gunvalson and her uh, condescending, sanctimonious uh, approach toward Gina's divorce and how all the women at the table when she said she's spiritual but doesn't know like which god she believes in they gasped as as if she just said you know she said something that was actually crazy or offensive or needed to be addressed that way and it didn't i i don't know i would only audibly gasp if she had said gretchen christine Butte had sold out i'd be like oh 
what does the world come to? I would only audibly gasp if the uh, the band Locke broke up and could no longer sing Dreamcatcher live. That, of course, is the band of Sophie, Adeline, and the other Bedore, I forget her name. I, I You get the picture. But anyway, so, yeah, A, Real Housewives of OC sucks. It's just, it's done. I'm so tired of Tamara. I don't need Tamara. She's, like, just not interesting to me. She actually kind of never was. I am not... She, I'm not her number one fan. I have been interested in Vicky over the years because as we've addressed with the crazy likable scale, she toes the Vicky Gumbelson diagonal, which she averages well. And then that she's crazy enough that I'm still watching and she's likable enough that she's not in like the, you know, arc of doom, which is what people like Kelly Dodd had a risk of falling down when she was going too far. But then she became more likable and not any more crazy. So she, you know, her average is going up this season. I'm really enjoying her. Where you lose in that, you know, arc of doom is if you're like a Brandy Glanville, where you become overly self-producing and your likability plummets, your crazy skyrockets and um, nobody's watching anymore. The same thing kind of happened with Kim Richards. It just got sad. It's either it's either Taylor Armstrong sad Brandy Glanville unrealistically crazy or um, Kelly Dodd's first season where she was just like only telling jokes like what comes after part A, part B. <laughs> like she was on Jeff Lewis's podcast and she told 14 of those jokes. And oh, God, it was it's tough. I just it, how can your entire personality be, be based off of jokes dot com? Like, are you a Kathy cartoon? Like what? What? Where? Why? Who has been laughing at these your entire life to where you developed your entire personality based on, you know, saying things like, I don't know, I'm getting MC hammered. I I guess I kind of do that, too. I have my words. I like grumple stilt skin, even though it has nothing to do with somebody who's grumpily, you know, manipulating someone's daughter into weaving gold out of straw. It's still catchy. So mm, I'm a hypocrite. But the the thing with Vicky contesting Gina's moral compass. Okay, A, let's just get this. I mean, I don't think it's a surprise. My take on this Gina thing is like, it's pretty clear that something happened, whether he cheated, whether she just wants out, whether they just like hate each other or the distance made them not. uh, There's something more. I don't think anybody has like this fully amicable, amicable, epic divorce that, you know, she's like, we're still best friends. We still sleep together. We still love and respect each other. We just don't want to be married. It's like, well, I don't know. Like all those things are kind of what make me want to be married to someone. I mean, maybe I'm crazy. Um, So like the problem is the way she's positioning it. It kind of just makes it sound like, yeah, well, I'm willing to like put my children through a lot of torment and do all this because like, I just think there's something better for me. And and she is kind of positioning it in a way like I'm not really trying to fight, even though we have all these great characteristics. But the reason it's not adding up is because she's lying. I, I think that's pretty clear. Whether he had an affair or whatever, like, I, I don't know, but she's trying to protect her kids. She just didn't have her husband on for a reason. She says it's because of work, but like, I don't know. A lot of people with important jobs, husbands are on TV. Um, and she... If she's going to do that, she's also going to protect her kids from whatever this divorce is about. And she's putting on an act, which is a first season character classic mistake. You really have no choice but to put it all on the line and to let your own arc and character evolution uh, really serve as you kind of play the long game. It's very hard to be likable out the gate. I think it does take a season or two for people to get used to, to understand you. It's kind of like when Sonia Morgan came on the scene and she like took over as grand marshal of that parade and was like, 
you know, I hang out with Madonna and John John Kennedy all the time. And she was just like so annoying and society-ish. And like, I could have done without her. Now she's a goddess that sits with a tiara with her eyeglasses, her readers on and a remote with like a bag of takeout next to her. And she's our hero. She's because she gave in to the, her relatable side. She wasn't worried about keeping up appearances. I understand because my instinct would be to protect my family. And I don't blame Gina for it. It's just like reality TV isn't for you if you can't put it all on the line. And if you can't suffer a couple years of of public scrutiny and unlikability only to rise like a phoenix from the ashes like i thought shannon Bedore, Bedore would be doing but she's just not she's not doing it for me this season i really like her i had i was hopeful um but i just she's she's mean to the new girls she's just being that like kind of protective and weird type of person she was to megan king edmonds when she was like i start charities megan and that just like wasn't appealing but it's the same issue where megan was like in her th- early 30s and so is Gina, right? Um I thought maybe like her having a few kids and having it kind of difficult with her husband gone would give her some credibility, but they I don't know, they're just not vibing. There's the chemistry's not there and I, I'm just surprised they haven't been able to cast that better. Anyways, I all that aside, Vicky Gunvalson being like where is your moral compass is so upsetting because not only did she participate in a cancer scam, uh, which, you know, that I think that kind of trumps everything. But like she set up Kelly's ex-husband this season. She said Tamara's spouse is gay. She gave her daughter a new car back in the day, but then was like, oh, I only paid the down payment. Down payment. Now you're stuck with the enormous lease. Like she's always doing sh- crap stuff like that. Like, yeah, she whoops it up. She's a killer Chinese chicken salad. Like, she's a girl boss. She likes her grandkids, whatever. But then, you know, she also tells somebody if the trash bag fits, wear it. She also says she accosts a driver for sending a family van. She, like, will be so, so mean to Tamara. She'll scream on a ski slope that she's never been with multiple partners in her whole life. She does all these horrible things. And, like, I just think she's, she, her average, her average, it's going down. Likeable, crazy. She's crazy. She's crazy. She's crazy. And her likability has plateaued to look at her past 10 years that we've witnessed on television and to suggest that another woman has an issue with her moral compass is the most do south thing a moral compass could do this is what i don't get about people this is what i never got about like in my in my sorority in college i love my friends and i love the organization but like our t-shirts and stuff had phrases on it like you know because class isn't just something you attend No, because class is just something you don't call yourself because the most classy thing a classy lady can do is not call herself classy. The most the the thing morality in theory versus morality in practice, like I, I, I just feel like the most amoral thing you can do is to question other people's morals and character based on a small snippet of information and not having an an adequate cross section of their entire character. Uh, the peop- my religious friends who I love and respect so much, despite me having my ins and outs with uh, organized religion, with my anger toward the Catholic church for, you know, recent events. Like I have, a, I, I go in and out of um, my thoughts on organized religion and my close friends that are so faithful are nothing but love and light. And I love them for it. That those are the people that bring people back to faith, back to religion, back to, I want to be more like you witnessing is by example victoria like come i just i do not understand people that think that pushing something down someone's throat is the way to get them to convert to their lifestyle and like 
Furthermore, Vicky, Tamara, you're in your 50s. Like, don't you see that we have so much to learn from each other? And that somebody having a different opinion doesn't compromise your beliefs, but it just gives you an opportunity to see how somebody else thinks. You can maybe modify your beliefs to work in a system where we all are allowed to have differing views, where, where you can improve how you talk to people or improve the way you approach your own faith, because it's okay that we're all different. There's never, it's so wild to me to think that like, one group of people in this huge world is right. I think that so much of our so much about all of our faiths is so fundamentally similar that we're all right and we're all onto something. But the customary way in which we approach it has the right to be different, and we should approach things the way we've been culturally, customarily, or you know, familially brought up. Like I, I love that aspect of tradition. I think there's a lot to be said about community and fellowship and giving kids a a sense of safety like I'm on board with all this but that's also why like I want to hear how other people do things and it's upsetting to me as a person who did spend a lot of years at church camp and who did grow up Christian to see people behave in a way that would be like wow whatever she is I don't want to be that I guess I, I take issue with the notion of um them suggesting that religion is the only avenue to a sense of morality Absolutely. It's it's a ground on, on which you can build a, a spectrum of what's right and wrong, but it's not the only way. And it sounds so ignorant to say that if you don't share my faith, like you don't have a moral compass. Like that's a ridiculous thing to say. And a thing that is absolutely not what WWJD, <laughs> like absolutely not. And beyond that, I... I and I think everyone can think of many non-believers who are great people of integrity and many believers who are huge a-holes. It's, it's just, it do, one does not dictate the other. Just an oversimplification that I thought was really distasteful and rude and not in a good reflection of anybody who would want to be spreading the good word of Christianity. I think there's, a, there's just a lot more that goes into it. And for such women with such complex lives that have needed a lot of grace from us, the viewers, and from their loved ones, because of the issues they face and the decisions they've made for them to double down on her and be like getting divorced is a sin. It's a mistake. You made a vow in front of God. Therefore you aren't allowed to have this decision. You're not allowed to have the nuance we were granted is just so wrong and was so frustrating. And I'm very tired of Jesus being used as the strategic eighth housewife to stir the pot further for especially Tamara, who, you know, appropriately got baptized in a Four Seasons outdoor pool with a, you know, a dress code and a cocktail party afterward. Well, like, weren't there, wasn't there strings that, oh, no, people sang Amazing Grace acapella. That was like the most confusingly moving, but also like cheap thing I've ever seen. And that's, oh, and speaking of uh, when Victoria Gunvalson's moral compass, that is also the scene where she exclaimed she was being nailed to the cross like Jesus, because apparently her cancer scandal is comparable to that of Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Like, come on, Vicky. I mean, she is, to quote Kristen Takeman, delusional. Like, are you kidding me? I can't believe I just quoted Kristen Takeman. That's an all time low. Actually, I kind of liked her. I feel bad for her. I hope they bounce back from that Ashley Madison thing. And I do call. The, on the likable crazy scale, the people in the bottom left quadrant that aren't that crazy, but just like aren't overly likable, the take men or leave them because they're fine. They didn't do anything wrong. They just don't have the sustainability there, um, though that Ashley Madison scandal broke right after she left. So, you know, 
she had potential to really have an interesting season and a Phoenix from the ashes moment that was unfortunately taken from her because unlike Kelsey Grammer, who did Camille a great favor and put her on the housewife so he could then divorce her. Josh Takeman wanted to her color pop fortune, color pop, nail, pop of color, nail polish, um, which again, Bethany actually isn't that supportive of businesses. She's so critical of everything everyone does. It's not her. Poor Jules Weinstein with her elixirs, her ancient Medicaid, like medical drink that her ancestors would give her. Like that wasn't the worst idea, but Bethany just wasn't supportive. But anyway, um, so yeah, I found that scene upsetting. I feel like they just need to stop prying about her divorce. The problem is, is it's it, 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 it they've sniffed it out. It, it's not right. We all know we're not stupid. We all know it's not right. They want to get to the bottom of it. Sure, it's giving their season some drama. I, it doesn't look like Gina's going to break. I'm just not that interested in Emily's husband. Um, I've heard people say that Gina looks like an Emily and Emily looks like a Gina, and that could not be more accurate. That it, it's it, that lady is not an Emily, and I don't know why. Um, I don't. I don't know. I just. I, I'm not vibing. It's I, I, the best part is Kelly Dodd, which I just never thought I would say that. And um, I like Jolie, her daughter, though I think she talks to her incredibly inappropriately. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I just, I, I was just a little bit upset with OC and thinking about my gospel music and I just had to, you know, give my two cents that Victoria Gunvalson, owner, founder, president, whatever of Kodo Insurance, you are not a shining example of a moral compass, nor do you walk in the footprints of Jesus. So I'm sure your house is covered with that weird footprints poem. Speaking of Jesus, though, um, Kanye West, Jesus Walks has a, has a great choir at the end. But again, that and like Halo and like a prayer stuff that's obviously religious adjacent is pretty, you know, intuitive, but whatever. Um, uh, what else am I watching? Oh, Dallas. I like I'm, I'm enjoying Dallas. I really am. I um, did see Leanne Locken last year in person, and she is so beautiful. I mean, beyond that dark hair on those bright blue eyes. She um, she's truly stunning. But beyond that, I here's the thing. I started out hating Brandy and Stephanie to now. I think Stephanie is a goddess. I think she's beautiful. I think she is sweet. I think she's level headed. She has depth. She shared more of her story. She was on a podcast talking about being a bone marrow donor, and it made me want to sign up like she's she really, I think, is a, has it all together. And I think she's everything Cameron wants to be like she actually has money and is in like Dallas Highland Park Society. Her husband has a successful locker empire, which that's as awesomely random as rugs. I support it. It's specifically gym lockers. Um she, you know, ha- used to have a pool in her foyer, which I guess she did take out, which is kind of unfortunate. Um, and she is just like fun and sweet and cool. And when she drinks, she like spins around and falls down on a statue, kind of just like a normal person might. And she's not like angry or scary and doesn't say things like, these are not knives, they're just hands. <laughs> that was like half Thomas Ravenel, half like a gremlin. I- I'm not really sure that worked. Um, but anyway uh she was like she was funny in that first episode when she was drunk at that adoption party okay can anybody that's in social work explain to me how the brandy adoption thing works i'm not saying i don't believe it i just as anyone i've ever known to endure that process and what i do know about social work at the state level it's there it's not that easy to get a brand new newborn baby you can't like hear about it and call a friend right isn't there like a wait list and a system and like a matching process. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that is just like the wildest um, situation I've ever heard. I mean, I don't even know what the scandal could be. Like, it's not like she was pregnant. I don't think they're trying to hide a surrogate a la Adrian Maloof. Um, 
it just would be too much of an elaborate, difficult lie. And also, if it was a surrogate, she'd want people to know that there was blood related to her, right? So I've heard people say, like, it seems fishy, but then I, I just don't know what the hell it would be a cover for, you know? Um, but anyway, I had trouble with them at the beginning because I don't have slapstick, silly prank humor. I do not have prank humor. I don't like pranks. I don't, I like to watch, you know, Todd Cranes and I liked Art Vandalay on the Kardashians. Like I can watch a prank sometimes, but I don't, you know, their type of humor just isn't for me. Like the physical comedy isn't for me. They're running around and loudly giggling. And, you know, it's like pulling someone's chair out from under them. It's like the person that points to your chin, you look down and they like bloop your nose. It's like, hey, I, if I heard your hand smells like bananas, if you have cancer and you put your, hand, you know, you smell your hand and then they push your hand into your face. That's not funny. It's not even like that mean. It's not clever. If you're going to, you know, do a joke with like putting your hand near my face or body, at least crack an egg down my back and let the yolk run down. So it feels nice. Tight squeeze, cool breeze. I'm a happy camper. It feels like I just want to relax feet. I, I just don't really understand that type of humor. It's just not my jam. And that's why I was never fun at sleepovers. That's why I feel like I'm a person that you have to get to know to in order to really like, um, because I'm physically uncomfortable when people are being like super silly around me because I'm just not like, I don't know. I'm just not silly. Like even like I like to dance and I love music and I love singing, but I'm not going to do, you know, uh, the sprinkler like joke dance moves on the floor. It, it's just not me. And over, instead of trying to do it and feeling like a, a you know, certified goober my whole life i just decided to lean into it a while ago and be like i'm gonna watch on the sidelines and when i feel like i'm in the mood or when i've had a few drinks i'll join in but for now i'm cool here i'm not gonna let myself be pressured into it and here's the problem is that i don't want to sound like a cameron because i think cameron is the biggest stick in the mud what blanket of a all like i'm not not fun i just I would sit there and laugh and enjoy in somebody else's silly antics. I just wouldn't have to do them myself. But when you don't laugh and you sit there like a grumple stiltskin is when you become the butt of the joke. So you have to toe the line between a non-participant and a contrarian, I suppose. I'm not opposed to it. I'm just I'm just not going to do it right now. I'll, I'll laugh on the sidelines. I'll be your hype gal. And uh, that's what I feel like Cameron hasn't done well. And she just is so unlikable. I guess it kind of depends, though, like how close is she with them? I mean, everything's so dynamic based. Like I've talked about on here how depending on who I'm talking to, I, I feel as though my personality completely changes. And um, I, some people you just you flow or more comfortable around than others. And who's to say, you know, she's not a great time around her best friends. But these gals bring out the worst in her. Like, I think these girls bring out the worst in Carrie. She's not really doing much. She's just, I don't know. She just doesn't, I don't know. I have nothing to say. But I guess, I don't know. See, I feel my best self, not only in a turtleneck, but also playing board games. That's when I really shine because I'm decent at games, though I'm so unlikably competitive. At one point, my then boyfriend, now husband, you know, said, you know, we, we need to stop playing games together for a while. And that was a hard pill to swallow because I love games. But it is it's not a great side of me. Um, I, I just I don't like when people don't follow the rules, but I don't like people that follow the rules too closely. Basically, I like my rules and um, I don't like people that don't take it seriously. And I don't like people that are, quote unquote, bad at games. I, I, you can be good at games if you try. I, I just, you know, if oh, there's nothing better than a taboo, a heads up, a catchphrase, a balderdash. I just oh, gosh, I love games so much.
Did I um, ever mention on here that Ellen had a competition for like the best heads up player in the world and you had to submit yourself? And I obviously submitted myself because I think I'm very good at heads up because I know a lot. Well, I'm good at heads like music, celebrities and icons, mostly categories. But the key is playing with someone, you know, because I feel like a lot of it, you know, is based on inside jokes and things you've talked about. Um, But anyway, I submitted myself. And the producer called me like within 20 minutes. It might have been within an hour. It was very fast. And um, because I I, again, I write poems for everything and it was pretty good. And I'm such a moron because they were like, oh, my gosh. So what would you do if you got on Ellen? And I was like, oh, I'd be so excited. I love her. DVR every day. Probably only get around to it once or twice a week. I was like being honest. And they're like, okay. um, yeah, but like if 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 you were in the audience and she called you down to play heads up, would you freak out? And I was like, yes, I'd be so excited. You know, I'm I really want to have my head in the game, though. So I'd probably be pretty focused. I said something like I was just such a dumb dumb because they were what they were trying to get at is am I going to be insane and like act crazy and be good television? Like I, I've watched enough TV to know better. And she couldn't have gotten off the phone faster. And I don't know. I'll, just like that, my opportunity was lost. You know, it's okay. Uh, maybe in another capacity, another day. But I remember the poem started. My sister and I are so good at heads up playing. Now we've got all our friends and family saying, you're not fun to play with beyond different teams. No one else knows Steve Buscemi was in Mr. Deeds. <laughs> uh, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah. Cameron's unlikable. She's no fun. But I am fun because I like to play games and write poems and submit them to daytime talk shows. Anyway, the other thing about Cameron is there's nothing sadder to me than a husband that like just seems to genuinely not like or respect his wife. And I feel like Cameron's husband treats her business, even though it is pink dog food, he treats it like it's some lemonade stand. Like it's fake. It's play money. Like it's not real. And I really think it's real to her. And that's upsetting. But at the same time, I also don't like her that much. So I can understand. But he's married her. He asked her. He agreed. He should be the one that loves and honors her, not me. But still, I do. I try to be careful of judging people's marriages on TV, because if there were cameras in my house, we would my husband, and I would seem like the weirdest couple, like not because we are just because out of context. I don't know that that's they just pick and choose. I think they want to make look bad, I think. And I know it's not necessarily editing, but like I think of all the times like I'll have a colorful conversation with Greg and then. Like two minutes later, I'm distracted on my phone. He's trying to ask me something or peppering me with questions. And I'm like, yeah, uh huh, uh huh. And I'm like scrolling through my phone and being unresponsive. It's because we just talked at length and then I had one minute of distraction. But if on TV they show the one minute of distraction, I become Jim Edmonds. So, you know what I mean? I just think it would be hard for everyone to appear likable all the time. And then, as we know and have discussed, when you produce yourself, you don't, you, you lose. So, it's a real luck of the draw. But anyway, but my favorite thing is when Bravo moms try to do things that textbook make them look like a good mom. It's like they watched a a YouTube video about things mothers say, or like read an Emily Post book about like how moms act. And they're like, this is how I, this is how I want to be momming. And they're and the, and you know that there are these women because they're just like Dorit and everything they say is, do you want mommy to get you a snack? Are you going to miss mommy so much when she leaves? Oh, you love your mommy, don't you? And it's like, People don't talk like that. Like, if mommy loves you, she's just like, I love you. <laughs> if mommy wants you to get a snack, you say, hey, do you want a snack? You can say it in a baby voice. You can use terms of endearment. 
but you don't need to remind us over and over that you're mommy. That said, I do this with Tugboat because I think it's hilarious. And ever since Dorit in every scene was like, Phoenix, Jagger, do you want to ride with mommy to the park and our two nannies? Mommy's going to sing Fever tonight. Are you so excited for mommy's new leotard? And it's just like, why, why are you acting so weird? It's because you're probably not around your kids that much. And you just want to, you know, remind us that you're a mommy. So anyways, father figure, mommy, I, uh, I just like to yell at Tugboat all day like mommy loves you and it, i am just channeling cameron and dorit but um it was funny when cameron was going to that like trade show and she's like are you gonna miss mommy so much and they were like uh you have a pretzel um so she's okay i like deandra but i'm also kind of like i don't know get your own job like it's your mother built something she has every right to keep it for as long as she want, wants is it cool of her to say she's gonna give it to you then take it back or to not hold you know to not keep her word. No. And I get how that's frustrating. And I, you know, if you have a family business, I bet it would be cool to take it on. And it is so funny how they have their like group of octogenarians that buy that powder and they love that cylinder. And she's like, we need pouches. And I'm like, I agree. You need some package innovation. Her mom just won't do it. And that's the problem. It's like, I don't think a good leader is stubborn and isn't open to change just because you have one market doesn't mean you shouldn't, you know, try to branch out and test and learn and see if you can grow and take risks. She just seems very risk averse. And I get that you have a niche. You don't need to be everything to everyone. But I, I see Deandra's point. And the fact that she just like won't give her funding. I don't know. It just feels like petty and stupid. They they don't have the mother daughter relationship that I would want. I've, I've always said there are two types of moms in this world. There are mommies and there are mothers. Mothers are critical. They're cold. They are very harsh on what you wear and your weight. And they are a little bit passive aggressive and they're going to be a little bit mean to your future wife or husband. Um, And then there are mommies who are so nurturing and kind and assume the best out of you and are not passive aggressive. They're straightforward, but loving and approach things in a way that's just a little bit more tender than other people do because they're your mom and you're their flesh and blood and they love you and want the best for you. Whereas mothers are want the best for you but their approach to it is to be as harsh and critical as possible and i don't know if it's to prepare you for the real world i don't know if it's tough love i don't know what it is but it's not my style i have a mommy and i want to be a mommy and i know a lot of people have in-laws that are mothers and i'm so grateful that my mother-in-law is also a mommy (laughs) she is the sweetest woman alive and i just i don't take well to people that like have standards for things and like it's like when danielle jonas and married to jonas mrs jonas joe kevin and Nick's mom is a mother and she's like, I can't believe she has paper napkins at a nice dinner. And I was like, oh, my God, I would never like I, I don't know. I have good manners. My parents are classy as hell. I love a cloth napkin. But like, I, I, I don't think about that stuff because I care about a human connection and a good time and being good hosts. And I, I'm not going to harp on all of those menial aspects of etiquette that maybe were valued in your era, but I don't think are overvalued in mine. And it's my way. That's the thing that's tough about like etiquette and being proper and classy, if you will. Those are your values. Great. That doesn't mean they're right. I I, I care. I, I care about anything manner related that relates to decency and how you treat people. And, you know, don't chew with your mouth open. Don't be don't be gross and don't be mean. I like anything manners related about that. But, you know, when people get so uh, held up about the type of fork you're using or 
you know, the order in which you do things or uh, the, uh, things that I just overlook. I did go to cotillion, but uh, that we just took dance classes, which it would have been way more helpful if we did like table manner classes. But instead, we just like, I don't know, did the waltz and the military shuffle. And I like towered over all the boys with my gap tooth and my inadvertent tea lake dress because I was too tall for the dresses in my age. And an ugly flat salmon Libby bowed shoe because I was too scared to wear heels because I didn't want to tower even further. Ugh, it was a tough time. But anyway, I just, I don't know. I've always, maybe that's the Lorelai Gilmore in me. I, uh, I, I did something about a very uh, stiff, high society approach is such a turnoff to me. And it makes me want to do the exact opposite. Of course, I don't because my desire to please people is much stronger than my desire to oppose things on principle. And I believe in being respectful. It's respect your elders. If, some, if, if you're in the home of somebody who likes things a certain way, sure, do them their way. My request is that the other people be understanding that if people didn't grow up the same way and aren't familiar with the same things or the same food or the same process, give them a break because they don't know better. It's not personal and it's not tacky. They just don't know. And like, be welcoming in your own home, even if you are rigid in the way you do things. I don't know, maybe I did watch The Notebook recently, and I just really hate that mom. She was so mean to Ryan Gosling. Like, yeah, maybe James Marsden knows, you know, to use his salad fork first, but can he flip an entire southern plantation mansion for your daughter? I don't think so. Anyway, guys, I guess that's enough about Dallas. I mean, 90 Day Fiance, are you guys watching it? Are you loving it? Are you dying? Uh, Angela literally got hit in the face with her own baggage last week. I might I might do a more elaborate discussion on Patreon because I'm trying to keep this under an hour. But, um, you know, I got to say, I think we're all so distracted by Angela's like hair and skin texture and tone. And the way she presents herself is just so it, it's 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 a lot um, that we're forgetting that. I don't know. I don't think she's that bad. Because as we as I've discussed, the hard part for me about the show is the endemic low self-esteem that is the common thread that weaves together all of these women and these bad relationships they're in. And maybe the men, too. But I, I speaking from the experience of a woman who wants to be loved, I, I like see morsels of, of, of understanding their behavior, but then to a point comes self-respect, comes boundaries, comes working on yourself, comes accountability from people you love, comes people helping you out and being like, this is toxic. And that's the part that kills me. It's like, not only are, is nobody stepping in, it's being filmed and exacerbated to the nth degree. And, and it's, it's, it's quite the opposite of being stopped. It is, it's, it's snowballing. And um, the, the thing about Angela is she has boundaries. Like she pushes back. She's like, Michael, I'm not going to do whatever you tell me to just because you tell me to. That is not how it works in America. And I'm like, hell yeah, Angela. She has a little self-respect. And, you know, granted, I don't agree with all of her choices. She's made an effort to speak the language, talk about how beautiful Nigeria is. She's eaten what he's given her. Like, she really has tried. And and I think she, of anybody else, has been more accepting of him and his in, in the family and the culture than anybody else on the show. And and I just think we're we're distracted by her look, which is tough. And... You know, the, 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 I, you, she had me at a handbag with a stitching of the Lord's Prayer in it. <laughs> it made me laugh so hard. Um, but I really did like that she was like, this is unacceptable. Like she, she, I think she actually thought about leaving. And unfortunately, he gave her a cake and she really liked that cake. And, um, 
guess he knows his audience. But anyway, uh, the, the opposite end of the spectrum there is Darcy, who cares so much about her appearance, but then has absolutely no self-respect, self-esteem, or even respect for bringing a man in the, their home, a stranger who talks so condescendingly and rudely and borderline emotionally abusive to her in front of her small teenage children, which was so upsetting. And I mean, the, the thing about Darcy, she's just so unlikably high maintenance is the problem, too. It's like she has all the accoutrements of a Kardashian, but the execution is just like not as high quality. And I know I just talked about not judging people, but here's the thing. She would look so much better without all that stuff. Her sadly, st- like clopping, clomping up a, a, the, the Metra rail with like her huge suitcase and her high heels and like her touching her makeup up all the time. Like being that high maintenance just isn't cute. You're already cute. Like. There's more natural ways to do it. And I'm not saying for Jesse or for a man, for anybody. I mean, for yourself, your life will be so much easier wearing flat shoes. Change to your heels at the destination. Your life will be so much easier putting on your face in the morning, <clears throat> using a setting powder, Laura Mercier finishing powder makes your makeup bulletproof. Touch it up maybe once, but just it's okay. Abandon it. Your lashes coming off, your strip lashes, your Ardell's not holding up. Get extensions. I don't know. Work around it. Wear your hair up like being that high maintenance just isn't great. It's not great for your soul. It's not great to spend that much time on your appearance. And it's not great for your relationships when you appear to care about those things more than being on time or, you know, uh, being present because you're worried about how you look in front of the cameras. And I just do feel for her in that sense. Like I think she's deeply, deeply self-conscious and it's evident in her relationships and it's evident in her, um, the way she like carries herself and the way she cares about her appearance. And I actually saw because it's her um, it's a bit of a question mark, her financial situation in life. And I'm pretty sure she lives with her dad and her sister. And um, I don't think House of Eleven fashion is, you know, hit on the runways or in stores. She just dropped a single. I don't know how well that's doing on the old SoundCloud. But I saw she just has such nice stuff. And like, you know, people make jokes like her painting the bottom of her Louboutins. Um, speaking of, I always wanted to have a business that just sells red knobs um for appliances so like your stuff looks like it's wolf even if it's i don't know like used kenmore from the 1980s but you could still feel fancy don't you think that's a good idea it's uh at this point i don't know if i've talked about things on my instagram or podcast but you know if people are painting their shoes red there's got to be a sticker right that people can use if they really want to fake lubes which is kind of sad but i mean people buy a ton of fake stuff i used to go in those vans in chinatown when i was in high school even though I did make that, you know, F-U-C-P-K hostess money, it could not afford me a Louis Vuitton Neverfull. So I, I used to be into that. But as an adult, it just like, I don't know. It, it's one thing to have like a fake bag here and there. It's a whole other thing to shroud yourself and, ha- and have a pretend lifestyle. Like she's stuck at Diddy's white party in the early 2000s. Like her entire vibe is, is based off of an era that just is no longer. And I think she's holding on to her youth. But anyway, she did um, somebody on the Internet was counting the worth of like the jewelry and whatnot she wears just to be like, let me break this down for you. Realistically, there's no way she owns all this stuff. And she has three Cartier love bracelets that are sixty three hundred dollars each. And you can find them on Amazon fake for twenty dollars. She has two love Pave Cartier diamond bracelets that are worth forty thousand one hundred dollars each. And then she has two of the nail bracelets with diamonds that are around $12,000 each. Like 
There is absolutely no way she's wearing over $100,000 of jewelry on her wrist at any given time. Like maybe one or two are real, maybe here and there, but like they, they've got to be replicas, right? I, I don't know. I, I mean, it's so fascinating the, the great work people do on the internet. Um, but I just, it's like, it's so sad to think not only is she just like desperately seeking the love of a man who doesn't love her and treats her horribly, but she's also just like everything about her is so fake. And it's like, why, who are you? What, what do you want? I, it's, it's dark to me. I mean, it, there was honestly the comedy that came out of that scene in the house though, the Airbnb where Jesse was like, I'm on, I might not be here right now. If I, you know, got hit with that shoe, it's like death by Louboutin, RIP me. I, what, like, did he honestly think that that was a threat to him? That was so weird and so funny. And he was like, so alarmed that she threw a shoe at him, but I don't know. I don't, I don't really find it that crazy. I think he probably just needed shutting up because he's a weird robot human that was malfunctioning. And she was probably trying to find his off button. Um, let's see. Hazel and Tariq. I mean, here's a th- I'm not going to get through this, guys. There's just too much to talk about. I mean, Paul and Carini still translating through that app. Just freaking learn Portuguese. I'm so frustrated. He's at the pregnancy clinic. He's like, hi, can you explain to me what you're doing here? And then it translates. And she's like, I am checking to see if your wife's pregnant. And it translates. It's like, Nadoi, Paul. Like, oh, he's so annoying. I don't understand them at all. I feel like their relationship is wearing on Karini. She doesn't have that youthful glow she once did. She seems very stressed out all the time, and I don't blame her. Um, but uh, Tariq and Hazel, Hazel's seen some stuff. She's She has a darkness about her, too, and I don't know how to read her situation. And the thing that's frustrating is the the hard part about some countries, some cultures, is that I don't. I think we project Western values onto them, and they may not be bad people. Because like, A, what he, what Tariq's, is it Tariq or Tarek? His brother said to her was so inappropriate and so ignorant. And so it just, he didn't have the context or right to be that cruel. And I think what he's not getting is that in certain parts of the world, marriage isn't about love. It's about finding someone who can take care of you. It's about like, if, if you have a roof over your head, that's good enough. I mean, she's been pretty upfront that she's looking for a provider from day one. And I'd argue that maybe Tariq is frauding her because can he really give her the life she thinks she's going to get in America that's worth leaving her friends, family, her her child, et cetera. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I think like, yes, it's sad that she's like cold to him and she wants a sugar daddy, but like, you know, sans sugar, all daddy. Uh, she wants a father figure. Oh my God. I love when this comes full circle. And I guess, I don't know, whatever. He seems to not care. That's the thing is he's so shallow. He doesn't even care that his prospective wife literally doesn't even try to hide that she's cringing when he touches her. That's that's how shallow he is. Uh, So, I mean, let's not be too hard on Hazel, though. Her church was truly alarming. I would have never gotten through that. Not that the beliefs are alarming. I think the method to somebody that is not familiar with the Pentecostal style speaking in tugs, tongues like snake handling ask church. It, that would be alarming in person because it's it's a it's a little cultish. Like my reactions, kind of like, are you all serious or are you just looking at the person next to you and they're doing something so you're doing it and then one upping them? Like, why does it have to be six hours long? Why was it so humid? Why was there like could they? I don't know. Go outside, take a break, get a snack. I, I would I would need so many things to last through that. I would need earplugs. I would need an eye mask. I would I I, I that would be tough for me. And I did I had to research Pentecostal churches and snake handling churches for my Appalachian studies course in college. And let me tell you that it is frightening. 
just even the notion of a deadly snake being present that you're relying on the abstract power of God to keep you safe from. Because if that's true, then why do snakes bite other people? You know, Jesus loves you. This I know. All of us, not just the snake handlers. <sighs> Jesus has come up a lot. God has come up a lot. I'm like weirdly gospeling um, through this entire podcast. Who knew? You're welcome for taking you to church this week. <laughs> um, but anyway, I there's so many more characters on the show. I mean, did you guys hear that Ricky's actually married? I mean, apparently it's this big scandal where he is legally married in the United States. And I was a little fishy when that whole Melissa plot line was happening because that was so suspenseful. Those first couple episodes, like, will she or won't she show up? And her like being like, I'm on my way, I'm on my way. And showing up three hours later and then having braces and clearly being a high school student. Then he immediately finds another woman who I kind of like. It seemed fishy, but apparently he is married and that is like, it's all not real. And I think they used him as a storyline. He wanted to be on TV because now he's hawking a bunch of stuff on Instagram and Twitter. Ugh, I don't want it to be true, but we also know so much of reality TV is fabricated. The hard part is like these, the couples on this show have historically been in love and been legit, but now they do seem a little campy, a little more over the top than usual. And there's like no serious couples this season. Though sometimes the serious couples are the more boring ones, but I'm not interested in John and that other lady. The conspiracy there is that Lucy's actually his child and they are doing this to be on the show. But I don't know. I, I thought they're th these people aren't professional actors. So I don't know. It's it's really tough to say. But I guess the only real way I can end this sermon is with Kirk Franklin's Do You Want a Revolution? Book of Revelations, chapter seven. <laughs> oh, good times all around. Um, this is a weird episode. I say that every week. I don't even I don't know. I hope you guys are happy to be back. I know we only missed a week and you didn't miss anything at all. If you're on Patreon on Patreon, I talk about my night at Tao meeting Jonathan Chebin, Chris Humphreys, Courtney Kardashian was there, and I missed her and went straight for the food god. Uh, Shep was there. I met Tinsley. I, I talk all about that on my Patreon um, from last week because I felt, I, I even if I can't do a normal podcast episode, I will at least do a Patreon for people that donate a dollar to the cause. Um, and yeah, more to come. Stay tuned for part two of how I built this. Stay tuned for the story of Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star. Stay tuned to hear if I'm coming to a city near you, which I probably won't be because I'm I'm trying to convince my publisher that I that people would like come and would meet me and would like want to talk about the book, not in large groups. I just want to meet some of you guys because like through the podcast and Instagram and stuff, I think it'd be really cool. And a book's kind of the only time you can really do that. I'm not going to tour my podcast, but I'm hoping that if people buy this book and it's a thing, I don't know, it just seems like a great excuse to um, go around and um, talk about it in different places. If anything, to like drive interest. I mean, but who knows? Bethany was pretty big when she did that signing at that Costco and nobody came and then she had to go get samples, which actually sounds like a great Saturday. So win-win. But anyway, hopefully I'll get my advertising game down soon so I can prioritize this podcast above other things. And um, I, I love doing it so much and I love you guys coming back every week. I guess I'll find out soon if taking a week hiatus <laughs> impacted the old numbers. I really do not know. Um, I hadn't done that since I started, which I was proud of myself for not doing. But, you know, we, we all deserve a break every once in a while. And, uh, are there worse things than to be missed? If you missed me. I'm not sure if you did. Um, but I just have to, uh, like travel and stuff coming up that I physically can't be in a place to record. So, you know, I hope you'll be understanding as time goes on. And if I ever don't do a regular podcast, you can go to patreon.com slash be there in five. You can also buy doormats at be there in five dot com, uh, be there in five dot Etsy dot com. You can buy art prints. You can buy watercolors. You can buy my book, Twinkle Twinkle Social Media Star, pre-ordered on Amazon, $14.95, coming out in November 2018. God, I have a lot of stuff to pitch that is exhausting. Um, and I'd probably have tuned out by now if I were you, but hopefully you're hanging on to here, one Kirk Franklin. 
<laughs> I hope you guys know what I'm talking about. I, I think once you hear it, you'll, re- you'll remember. Um, it's, it's pretty funny. I guess as funny as you can make a chapter in the Bible about the rapture. So really, it's not funny, but the way it's presented an otherwise uninteresting topic to youths trying to pander and be cool to youths, that concept I find very funny. So anyway, love you tons. Thanks for letting me be a part of your week. And as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. Book of Revelation, uh-huh. chapter 7, verses 16 and 17. Yes, sir. They shall hunger no more, neither shall they thirst anymore. Preach, preacher. For God shall wipe away. Yes, sir. Every tear from their eye. Yes, sir. Get ready for the revolution. What you say?